Hello everyone, today's episode is about BII or breast implant illness. If you are a patient, this is not meant to be medical advice. And if you are having symptoms such as those discussed here today, you need to see your plastic surgeon or other medical provider. Also keep in mind that breast implant illness is something that there are many ongoing studies and please stay tuned for the results of these studies as this will help us objectify symptoms and help to treat patients. Now, please enjoy the episode. Thanks. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Martin, here at Emory University. We have a medical student today, Magnus Chun, who is with us and he is helping me host today. So why don't you go ahead and start with your introduction? Hi, everyone. My name is Magnus Chun. I'm a medical student at the Tuning University of School of Medicine in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, it's such an honor to be here, and I'm super excited to be a co-host for the Loop podcast. I actually met Dr. Martin at the 2021 SESPRS annual conference. And I've always been interested in helping out the new podcast and being involved in all the facets of medical education. So thank you, Dr. Martin, for including me. Yeah, We're joined today by our guest host, Dr. Stephen Messinger, who is a native of New Orleans and a board-certified plastic surgeon at his private practice, Aesthetic Surgical Associates in Metairie, Louisiana, as well as a clinical associate professor at Tuning University Division of Plastic Surgery. He is triple board certified in plastic surgery, otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, and facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. Dr. Messinger is also a member of many plastic surgery organizations such as SESPRS, American Society of Plastic Surgeons, American Association of Plastic Surgery, and American Society for the Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, American Society of, of Maxofacial Surgeons, and the Rhinoplasty Society. Dr. Messinger, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. All right. Thanks, Dr. Messinger, for joining us. This is going to be a great episode. So today we are going to be talking about basically an intro to breast implant illness, and we may refer to it as BII. And we are going to discuss what it is and what to do if maybe your patients have suspected BII. So let's get started. So BII has recently become a hot topic in the field of plastic surgery with many patients complaining of both mammary and extra mammary symptoms, post-breast augmentation or breast reconstruction. Dr. Messinger, can you start by talking about what breast implant illness is and what are some of the associated symptoms? Well, breast implant illness is a term that some women and some doctors use to refer to both extra mammary and memory symptoms after undergoing breast reconstruction or cosmetic augmentation using breast implants. Uh, the extra memory symptoms can be joint and muscle pain, chronic fatigue, memory and concentration issues, uh, an entire myriad of different extra memory symptoms uh, in combination to breast symptoms like mastodynia uh, and capsular contracture. And what is so frustrating is that some patients have uh, multiple mammary type symptoms and some pa patients have no mammary type symptoms, but they all have these extra mammary symptoms. That's right. So in our retrospective study that we're working together on, we actually saw that all of our uh, BII patients complained of some sort of uh, mastodynia and other symptoms included, uh, including fatigue, loss of concentration, rash, and many more. So do you see any patients with BII often at your own private practice? 
Uh, yes, I do. And in fact, over the past five years, we've been seeing more and more of these patients, which I'm not sure is that there's more BII out there or that we're just being referred to uh, as a center for this, uh, this type of illness. Great. Can you talk to me about how do you diagnose patients with BII? And I know the etiology is unclear and um, many question whether this is real. So how do we get at an actual diagnosis for this? You know, it's, it's a very uh, good question because, uh, as you know, there's no ICD-10 code for breast implant illness. Uh, there was recently a meeting with the FDA to discuss uh, the issues with this that involved many leaders in breast surgery and plastic surgery. And essentially, the consensus was that if you have a patient that has had breast implants, either for augmentation or reconstruction, and is having all of these symptoms and you've eliminated other causes such as autoimmune, Lyme disease, other things, and you can't come up with anything else, it's almost a diagnosis of exclusion. Got it. So what do you think causes BII? You know, do you think there is a potential autoimmune etiology? And I also wanted to add on to that question. If there is an autoimmune etiology, you know, is there any objective evidence uh, for that right now? So, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. They did try to do a big series with over 100,000 women where they found that women that had breast implants were at increased risk for some autoimmune disease, increased rates of scleroderma, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, there was also uh, an increased rate of some infant stillborn occurrences. But what they found out was that a lot of the women in the study dropped out between year two and year seven. And the data was self-reported, so it was unreliable. Now, there is a Dutch study which does show an increase in scleroderma and in SLE, but the numbers are so small, they're not sure that if there wasn't some uh, bias implicit in that study. So the, the answer is, we don't have all the facts. We don't have all the data. Now, in terms of, you know, does it really exist? Does it help? You do have a subset of women who have these horrible symptoms, nothing works, you take the implants and the capsule out and they get better. So okay. through deductive reasoning, you would say it's got to be the implant or it has to be the capsule or sure. it could be both. Right. That's a, that's a great response. Thank you. Uh, you know, to add on to that, we, in our study, we showed that um, 69% of patients had at least one positive bacterial culture. The most common organisms find were uh, P. acne followed by Staphylococcus epidermidis. So, you know, we're thinking, you know, could BII be from biofilms or some sort of chronic subclinical infections? That, that seems to be the most reasonable explanation in that we do a very extensive capsulectomy. We wash out the pockets and the majority of our patients got better after that, le less symptoms. One of the more remarkable things we saw was somebody was losing their vision due to optic neuritis, had been to, you know, every specialist in the country, Mayo, Stanford, Hopkins, and just said, I just want them out. I don't know if it's going to help, but I want them out. Uh, we took them out. We took out the capsules. We washed her out. And she grew out a bunch of organisms. We sent her to ID. They put her on culture-specific antibiotics. And the optic neuritis went away. So wow. uh, it, it's incredible uh, what we see with this. The other problem with those, you have some patients, they have the same symptoms, maybe not as severe, but rheumatologic. You take out the capsules. You take out the implants they don't grow anything and they don't get better. And that, that's where it becomes problematic. Sure. And I know we talked about this a little bit, but you know, how, how do you actually treat BII and, and what are some surgical and non-surgical options? 
So um, we'll start with the surgical options and you have to define terms. So if you Google this or, or look at the BII groups, you're gonna hear a lot of different language, in block capsulectomy, total capsulectomy, partial capsulectomy or capsulotomy. In block is really an oncologic term. Uh, I had two reviewers point this out to me as we mentioned this in, in, in our paper. And they feel, and they ask a very legitimate question, do you think by doing a quote-unquote in-block capsulectomy that you're actually doing it, that you're not making any dings in the capsule, that you're not getting any microscopic holes? And the answer to that is they're right. You know, there's no way to do perfect in-block capsulectomy every time. So I prefer the term total capsulectomy, where we try to remove uh, the capsule off of the, the chest wall and, and from underneath the muscle or off the muscle and underneath the, the gland in one piece if we can't. We can't always do that, uh, but once we remove the implant in the capsule, we'll then wash out the pocket using uh, Adam's solution, uh, the triple antibiotic, 50,000 units of bacitracin and 500 cc's of normal saline with a gram of ANSEF and a, a, a 80 milligrams of genomycin. And then we'll mix that solution with full-strength betadine paint, sterile betadine paint, and then let it sit in, in the pocket and have contact time for at least two minutes. We do this by stopwatch because Einstein's theory of relativity is never more in practice than when you're sitting in the waiting room waiting for something uh, to finish. It feels right. like an eternity. <laughs> uh, and, and then once we've done that, we, we rinse it again and we use drains. Now, we send the capsule for permanent histopathology and for tissue culture for aerobic, anaerobic, AFB, and fungal. And we've found a ton of different organisms. Uh, the one that concerned me the most being in Louisiana is the mycobacterium cases we found uh, because mycobacterium is ubiquitous in the water supply and that has to be a contaminant uh, post-surgery. Uh, so that, that worried us a little bit and made us change some of the things we do with augmentation patients. No shower for 48 hours, either dermabond or antibiotic impregnated steri strips on the wound. Everybody gets uh, IV antibiotics, but we also started giving uh, 24 hours of PO antibiotics after surgery with the augmentation patients as well. Uh, and it, it seems to have helped. And with our own practice, we've been fortunate that we haven't seen these things. Another thing that, that we've been doing uh, really for about the past 10 years is using the Keller funnel with the antibiotic solution. The Keller funnel prevents the implant from touching the patient at all. We like this no-touch technique because I, I personally believe this is a biofilm that's carried in when we're putting in the implants. In the old days, we used to try to make the tiniest incision possible. We did a lot of periorealer. If somebody's had kids breastfed, those ducts are contaminated. We'd you know, roll it up like a cigar, try to shove it into the tiniest hole possible. And I'm sure we carried contaminants into the wound with it. Now we're using uh, an infrared crease approach, uh, bigger incisions with this Keller funnel, and we're having fewer problems. Oh, that's great. Now, are there any non-surgical options? Well, there, there are. There's a, a slew of, of medications people have tried, antibiotics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Some people believe Botox injections in the capsule help relax this, and, and this helps as well. They've done everything from lymphatic massage to acupuncture to alternative medicine treatments, uh, vitamins, herbs, minerals. Uh, and some people find relief at that. That may be a placebo effect. This may also come into place uh, first. But if somebody's truly having problems for a long period of time and they're ill, I, I believe the best course that we can take 
is to remove the old implants, take out as much of the capsules we can possibly remove safely without damaging the patient, uh, and then washing out that pocket and never putting breast implants into that patient again. And that's the protocol that we follow. Okay. So it sounds to me like patient comes in with these symptoms, diagnosis of exclusion. If they're having severe enough symptoms, you go ahead and um, prepare them for surgery to remove their implants and capsulectomy. Keeping in, in mind our oath of primum non nocere, we don't want to do anything morbid. I recognize right. the procedure was elective and removing them is also elective, but you don't want to do anything to damage the patient. And this is where it comes in with talking and counseling. them. Now, we also do lab work on these people. We've been following uh, C-reactive proteins for about six years now to see if that was a difference. And it is not statistically significant. So I can tell you as a marker for breast implant illness, that doesn't really work. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So in our retrospective study that, that we're working on together, we saw that treating our patients with implant removal and total capsulectomy, uh, 96% of patients reported a significant decrease in their symptoms, while 91% of patients reported complete disappearance of the okay. symptoms after implant removal and capsulectomy. I do have a question about your study. So do you have a control group where you're, you're maybe not performing capsulectomy um, to see if maybe this is due to placebo or some other reason that they're having improvement in their symptoms? You know, we, we do, but we haven't really studied that group. We have a, a group of patients who just want the implant out and want to have capsulotomy done to release it but it's a small group. The majority of people that we have are, are undergoing the complete capsulectomy. So we looked at our first 200 patients, whereas that other group is only 10 patients and it's all self-reported. So the numbers don't really add up. You can't really draw okay. any conclusion from that. Okay. And another question about these patients who do see an improvement post-op. So do you think that improvement in their BII symptoms is due to the capsulectomy or are there other factors at play, maybe like a placebo effect? I do believe there's probably placebo. In fact, we're working with a, another surgeon who's in, in Boston, uh, Chris Holmesy. So we have two pretty large cities to, to get to diversity. Unfortunately, the study was retrospective, which is never as good as a you know prospective study or a blinded prospective study. But we're seeing the same things, and I think that's helpful. What's frustrating is you kind of have these two groups of patients. You have, you know, Baker Gordon 3, Baker Gordon 4, mastodynia with a bunch of symptoms, and, and they're better, I think, just by taking out uh, the capsules that alleviates the pain. It's helpful. But then sure. you have another group of patients who are Baker Gordon 1. The breasts are soft. They're not really having a problem, but they're having problems with all these extra mammary symptoms. So how morbid do you want to be going in there? It's extremely difficult to remove a paper-thin capsule without damaging muscle or, or chest. Right, that was my next question for you. <laughs> I mean, when yeah. we're peeling that off of, of someone's you know, ribs, we're using an obagazer, we're using a von Langebeck, these periosteal instruments to try to, to be careful. And, and you, know, you, you can really do more harm than good. That becomes you know, a problem. So we do the best we can with this, but I'm sure that we're probably leaving some capsule behind in these Baker Gordon 1 patients. Now, we try to make everything meticulously dry. We do use a drain and try to put, uh, if it's submuscular, the pec muscle uh, back into its normal position. And we follow these patients uh, for a long time, you know, a week after surgery, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, three months, six months, and a year. And then we're giving them the same, you know, survey to see if the symptoms are better or not. 
the longest follow-up that we have on somebody for BIA coming out is seven years, but that's one person. We don't have enough big numbers. And a few years down the road, once we do, we'll know if this worked or not. Great. Um, and you kind of already answered this question, but I wanted to ask you about, do you ever perform like a partial capsulectomy? Say you find that maybe the risk outweighs the reward if you're having bleeding, especially like you were saying, if it's really stuck to the ribs and maybe the patient pre-op had really emphasized, get all that capsule, you know, what do you do intraoperatively? So what I will do is we'll do as much as we can. And if I get a little uh, schemish and if they're very thin, I'll use my bipolar, you know, guided cauteries and I'll burn the rest of that capsule as I can to try to destroy it, peel out what we can and then wash them out. But I'm sure I've left capsule behind, not, not intentionally, but I'm sure that it's happened. Sure. So that being said, do you have patients who come to you and they specifically, they're adamant about a total capsulectomy, or maybe they use the term in-block capsulectomy, like we were saying, does that ever happen? All the time. You know, there are these uh, web-based groups out there, and I think it's great to get out information. But I sit down with them and I tell them, you know, physician, not magician, I can't promise you that I'm going to get it all out. First, do no harm. We're not going to do anything, you know, to to give you a pneumothorax. Uh, But we do try to do it. Now, when they're Baker Gordon 3 or Baker Gordon 4, we're able to peel it out. It's actually easier leaving it attached to the implant. They're worried about contamination. They're worried about something coming out. To allay any fear, I tell them that we irrigate multiple times. We do it. They're on antibiotics. They're on drugs. And everything is cultured. And all the tissue that we take out is sent for permanent histopathology other than what we use for tissue culture. So that does allay some rest. But every now and then, somebody will uh, say, if you're not going to give me a guarantee, I'm not going to have surgery. And, and you know, we'll, we'll kind of part as friends. Sometimes they come back. Sometimes they don't. But I, you can't make that guarantee. It would be unethical to do that. Right. Great. That's that's great. So I know we touched on this a little bit beforehand, but you know, is there a way to prevent BII in these patients? Or can you kind of summarize ways to, to do that? So I believe it's a lot easier to prevent a disease than it is to cure it. So what I would like to see is, uh, number one, uh, we make all the patients bathe with Hibby Cleanse three days before surgery. And we make them shower twice a day to try to lower the bacterial count because I think it's coming in. Number two, if somebody has a pre-existing history of a rheumatologic disorder or an autoimmune disorder, we discourage them from having breast implants. If they want bigger volume, we encourage them to do fat grafting or to do a mastopexy with fat grafting to not put implants in in the first place. Number three, everybody gets IV antibiotics, everybody gets the washout, everybody gets a a Keller funnel and everybody gets a dose uh, for 24 hours after surgery. Uh, And number four, we follow them very closely if they begin uh, to demonstrate that they're developing an early capsule, they're having a problem, uh, we'll start them on Singulair and gamma tocopherol combined. To help with that, we also are meticulous in our hemostasis at the time of surgery. Blood in the pocket equals capsule, so we try not to have that. Great, that, that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, the, the audience here on, on the new podcast are you know current plastic surgeons, plastic surgery trainees, future plastic surgeons. What should they do if they suspect a patient of theirs has BII? Well, first, you should listen to them because I do believe that this is a real entity, regardless of the cause, whether it's autoimmune, whether it's Lyme disease, whether it's some connective tissue disorder, or it is BII, you have to listen to the patient. Uh, If you're not comfortable doing the operation that they require, send them to somebody who is. There are people in every town 
who do more of this. We have more experience. Uh, it can be a, a tricky or a difficult surgery. Uh, I don't think it's something that should be done by the infrequent practitioner or you can hurt somebody. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask questions or ask for help. Uh, I love it when I get questions from the residents or, or the medical students. Uh, why are you doing this? What's the rationale behind this? This is the only way we learn to get better and collect your cases. The other thing I would recommend is for everyone to, who's doing augmentation to sign up for the NBIR, the National Breast Implant Registry. This is the only way we're going to get bigger numbers. Uh, you should do this. Also, there's a MAUD, M-A-U-D-E, uh, where manufacturers can use and also do this for more FDA data. I think that's helpful as well. Thank you. That's great. Thanks for the suggestions. Um, you know, as we kind of close things off here, our final question uh, is, what do you think is the future outlook for BII patients? And, and what are some advances in clinical research on this topic? Well, I, I, I'm happy to see collaboration between multiple parts of the country. And hopefully, we will put together some sort of prospective-blinded study with a good control group uh, where we see what is going on. I'm beginning to see separation from uh, BIA, ALCL, and BII, which are two different entities, which unfortunately were thrust together. We're now seeing separation on this, which is good. Uh, I'm hoping uh, for more input from our infectious disease colleagues, from our rheumatology uh, PMR colleagues. Uh, I'd also like to see more input uh, from uh, ACER, the Aesthetic uh, Society's research arm, uh, so we can get more money dedicated to the study of this in, in uh, research. Those would be things I'd like to see right off the bat. One thing I just thought of to ask, since we may have some patients listening to this, a lot of the things we said are kind of scary. So what would you say to a patient who's who has heard of breast implant illness and maybe is considering implants for the first time? You know, implants are still safe. How would you counsel them? I, I think implants are safe. And, and I think there, there are a few rules that you should follow. Number one, uh, always go to a board-certified plastic some surgeon, someone who is well-trained and able to do that. Uh, number two, uh, ask questions. It's okay to get uh, a second opinion. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Be comfortable with your surgeon. Follow your surgeon's instructions. If you do the right thing, this is a fairly rare entity when you look at how many breast implants have been put in worldwide. And maintain your follow-up visits. If you do this, it is very safe and very effective. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, well, that's it. Thank you, Dr. Messinger, for helping me with this episode. I'm sure it will be very valuable to our listeners listening about breast implant illness. Thank you very much for allowing me to participate. And uh, I want to tell you, I think the podcast is great. Thank you both. Thank you very much. All right. So for our listeners, stay tuned. We will have many more episodes coming soon. And make sure to like, subscribe, and you will continue to receive high-yield content and educational discussions from our Loop team. So make sure to follow us on Instagram to get in the loop.